Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. And, uh, you know, oftentimes you hear people say, well, you know, the church isn't a building, and that's true. But Scripture says that when God's people gather together, we are the church of the living God. We are the building of God. She's excited this morning. She got that one. She believed in that one. And we are God's temple. Well, we are in this series titled Screens. And uh, if you have the Word of God, you can turn there or you can look it up on your Bible app, but they'll put it on the screen. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We're going to sort of do a skip and a journey through the book of Nehemiah and see how it speaks to us today in regards to this theme, screens and the use of social media. Nehemiah chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah the son of Hachaleel. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year as I was in Shushan the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Verse 8. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. I want to teach a message today titled, There is Work to Do. There is work to do. 
Let me pray. Father, in that name that's above every name, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that through his blood, demons and powers of darkness have been disarmed. That the blood of Jesus cancels their accusations, their assignments. And we thank you that through Christ's death and resurrection, we have been raised to new life. We have been raised to purpose in you. We have been raised into fellowship with you. And we, Lord, as your people, ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done first on the inside of us that it be be manifested on the outside. Have your way, Holy Spirit, and reveal Jesus the King. And we're so grateful that the kingdom of God is at hand. Use our hands in that reality. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Notice here in Nehemiah chapter 1, we see a prayer that Nehemiah prays. And he says, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. What stands out to me here in the beginning of the book of Nehemiah in Nehemiah's prayer is that you see a reality demonstrated in Nehemiah and through his faith and his trust and his understanding of God that circumstances are not a clear reflection of God. Here... You have circumstances and you have news that was not great and awesome. Nehemiah's prayer did not come on the heels of great news. It was not that great circumstances was taking place and that motivated him to pray and to declare that the God of heaven was great and awesome. No, the circumstances and the news was not great and awesome. But God is great and awesome regardless of circumstances. And when you look at the life of Nehemiah, this is one of the things that stands out in the beginning of this book. People were in distress. Walls were broken down. Gates were burned with fire. And yet, though people were in distress, though gates were burned with fire, though walls were broken down, that was not a complete reflection on God. And it wasn't nor a reflection of God. So often you and I are sought to be pushed by the enemy, pushed by misunderstanding, pushed maybe with secular unbelief to allow circumstances and events to cause us to think that that's a reflection on God or a reflection of God. See, listen, God is great and awesome because He is great and awesome in keeping His covenant. God is great and He's awesome. And because He's great and awesome, He's a covenant-keeping God. A big takeaway just might be for some of you that the Nehemiahs of God, those that regardless of what's taking place, stay involved in the work of God. That regardless of what's taking place, prioritizes the work of God. That a takeaway for you might be that the Nehemiahs of God work because they believe God is great and God is awesome. The Nehemiahs of God in the family of God, they don't work because the news is always great. 
they don't work and they're not involved in what God is doing because the circumstances is always great. They're not always involved in what God's doing because it's easy and convenient. They're always prioritizing and involved in the work of God because God is always great and He's always awesome. Hallelujah. In verse 8, he says in his prayer to God, he says, Remember I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Here, of course, he's speaking of Jerusalem and God's covenant that he gave with the nation of Israel through Moses. And in that covenant, the people, the nation of Israel agreed to the covenant. And in the covenant was some very bold declarations where God says, if you walk away from the commands, if you walk away from my word, then I will take my hand of protection off of you and you will be scattered to the ends of the nations. However, even if in your sin, even if in your unbelief, you're scattered to the farthest parts under heaven, from that place, if you'll turn your mind and set your heart back on my wheel, from there I'll come and rescue you. I'll pour out my grace on you in that point and I'll gather you back into the city, the city of Jerusalem. And we've seen it. It's in our lifetime that in one day can a nation be born. And God has born a nation in one day. Israel was born in one day just decades ago. And from the ends of the earth, God began gathering the old covenant people, the nation of Israel, back in that place of Jerusalem. But one thing that stands out for you and I today, and for us today, at least to me, is God is not distracted. So often you and I feel like, you know, with all that's happening in the world and, you know, who am I? Just, you know, I, I'm not much and I'm not important and there's not much significance in me and there's no way that God is, you know, that His eyes are on me and that God's concerned with my anxieties or my fears or, or my issues. And, and I just want us to re- realize and remember today, God is not distracted. He's big enough to be aware of it all. He's big enough to be aware of His Word. He's big enough to be aware of what He's promised. And He's big enough to be aware of every one of His children and every one of our needs and every one of the circumstances that we face. But remember, regardless of the circumstance you're facing, God is not distracted. It might appear that He's distracted. You might be tempted to listen to the enemy that He's distracted. But God is not distracted through all the chaos and all of the calamity that's happening in the world, he's just waiting for one to take him at his word. God's not distracted. He's just looking upon the earth for one person, one woman, one child of his to take him at his word. God likes to be reminded of his word. And the reason God likes to be reminded of His Word is because He wants to show that He's a faithful, keeping God. 
that He's one that keeps His word. That's why God's just waiting for one of us, regardless of our circumstances, to remind Him of His word. But God, you said this. God, the gates are burned, but Lord, you promised this. God, I feel like I've been burned by some people, but you have said this about my life. You have said this about your hand and your favor and your purpose upon my life. God's just waiting for one of His children to remind Him of the promises, to remind Him of the prophecies, to remind Him what He's spoken over your life. Because God wants to be reminded so that He can show Himself to you that He's a covenant-keeping God. I'm reminded of what Andrew Murray, one who was great at talking about what is available for the children of God and the deeper life. You know, there's a lot of our brothers and sisters that talk about God and His Word, but but Andrew Murray talked about all that's available for us. He talked about the deeper life that's available in Christ. And here's what Andrew Murray said. He said, God has made the execution of His will dependent on the will of man. His promises will be fulfilled as much as our faith allows. And it is. And I am. Like a missile sent from the Father to stand against the extreme lies of sovereignty, the extreme lies that lead to passivity, the extreme lies in mentalities that says if it's just God's will, it's going to automatically happen. That's not what God in His will word said. In fact, you'll hear oftentimes it'll be quoted. The scripture in Psalms that says God is in heaven and He'll do whatever He pleases. But you know what they'll forget? Is to read the whole Psalms. Because in the psalm, that Psalms where he says God is in heaven and he'll do whatever he pleases, several verses later he says, but he gave the earth to mankind. God is in heaven and he does what he pleases and what pleased him is he gave the earth to you and I to steward it. So when things go wrong on the earth, it's not a direct reflection on God and it's not a direct reflection of God. It's more to the picture than just God because He gave the earth to mankind. And here you see Nehemiah, even in the Old Testament, demonstrating. Man, the circumstances weren't great. The news wasn't great. But it provoked him to pray And it provoked him to remind God of his promises and his word. And here in this series that we've been looking at screens and social media. In the current world we live in. The the question that I want us to ask up front today is. Do screens lead us to take God at his word? See oftentimes. When it comes to following Jesus, we, we fall into the, fa- the false framework and mentality of always thinking, is it right or is it wrong? And in the kingdom, there's more than just right or wrong because Paul talks about there's things that are not right or wrong. It's about whether they're beneficial or permissible. <laughs> and we've not said in this point that social media is necessarily right or wrong. We use social media. We're, we're streaming live right now. The question then is that I want us to ask ourselves is, is this, do screens, does our involvement in social media influence us 
or lead us to take God at His word. Let me ask you personally, do screens lead you to take God at His word? This is what we see. That Nehemiah received news from the outlet of his day. And he didn't have a news channel. His channel of news was his friends. <laughs> and they came back and he gets the news from the channel of his days, which is from people that were there on site. And it provokes him to take God at his word, and it provokes him to prayer and intercession. So the next question for us is, do screens lead us to spend more time in prayer and intercession? If screens and our involvement in screens doesn't lead us to take God at his word, to to provoke us to prayer, to provoke us to intercession, then it concerns me. But if your involvement in social media provokes you to remind God of of His Word, to, to pray and to intercede, then I'm not concerned for you today. Let me make it personal again. Do screens lead you to spend more time in prayer and intercession? As you continue in Nehemiah, in this story of Nehemiah and his involvement in the work of God and the rebuilding of the city of God and the old covenant and the temple of God. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 2 it says, Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? Notice that the physical body has effects upon the emotions, and the soul. But then he says, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So there is sorrow that comes from physical ailments and issues of the body, but then there's sorrow that comes from the heart. And it says, so I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Here is Nehemiah. He's around the king as he was daily serving the king, and the king notices for the first time that Nehemiah's face is saddened. And he looks at Nehemiah and he says, well, he's not sick, so this is not sorrow because he's feeling physically sick. This is sorrow of the heart. This is something's weighing on him emotionally. This is some concern in his heart. And the king asks him. And Nehemiah speaks to the king of the news that he has received and The king says, well, what's your request then? Nehemiah prays to the God of heaven and pulls on God and his help in that moment and he says to the king, if it pleases you, I ask that you send me to rebuild. To rebuild. The question that I see from this portion of the story of Nehemiah is that do screens lead us to get involved in the work of God on the earth? Or personally, do screens lead you to get involved in the work of God on the earth? 
here is Nehemiah and he gets news and he, he gets the news of not good circumstances and gates are burned and walls have been torn down. But what it motivates him to do is it motivates him to get involved. It doesn't motivate him to sit on the sidelines and just talk about it. Just be sad about it. Just be passive. No, it motivates him to get involved. For my observation, that's not what screens and social media leads the majority of people to do. For my observation, screens lead the average person to just express their feelings, to just express their opinions on circumstances, to point out and highlight the wrongs that they see. But from Nehemiah, we see a, a Nehemiah of God that was used in the midst of difficulties and circumstances and things being burned and gates burned with fire and walls tore down. It provoked him to get involved in rebuilding what had been broken. It led him to get to work. It led him to get involved. It led him to be a part of rebuilding the city of God, to act. Notice God, it's not that God is up there saying, I don't want the city to be rebuilt. It's God's waiting on one to remind him of his word and to get involved in what God has promised and what God has made available in his word. Can I tell us today that there's work to do? That there's still work to do in the Lord's vineyard? That there's still work to do for the kingdom of God? That there's still work to do for the will of God on the earth? Hallelujah. In Nehemiah 4 and verse 6, at this point Nehemiah has returned and he has went and he did the strategy at night. He went out and observed. He, he looked upon the situation and once he got clear leading on how to tackle it and handle it, he gets with the elders and begins to tell them the plan and now people have been mobilized. And in Nehemiah 4 and 6 it says, So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Can I talk to us for a moment about a mind to work? The reason we need a mind to work is because there's still work to do. And because there's still work to do, we all need a mind to work. Can I tell us today that God's still building a temple? Can I tell us today that God's still building a dwelling place? Can I tell us today that God's still building a city? It's His people. This is what Paul the Apostle said in Ephesians 2. He said that God is fitting together, like Peter said, living stones. He's fitting and knitting together His children that we may be a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That there would be people knitted and fitted together under the banner of King Jesus that God's Spirit would dwell in them, not just individually, but in a communal way. And because God is still building a people, God is still building a temple, there's work to do. And because there's work to do, we need to have a mind to work. See, listen, it takes a mind to work for this dwelling place of God in the Spirit to take place. A community of disciples built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit does not happen passively. A community where God's Spirit dwells where God's Spirit actively works, 
where God is flowing out of us in a way not just individually but as a community where the working of God's Spirit and the manifestation of God's Spirit is flowing out of His people. People are being saved. People are being revived. Things that have been burned are being restored. People whose hearts have been burned from past with bitterness and who have been left on the wayside and no longer active get revived and they get on fire again with the fire of God, not the fiery darts of the enemy. And they start being mobilized for the mission. All of that don't happen as we sit passively. Remember... Several weeks ago when I ministered, I talked about that the default of you and I as humans affected by sin, uh, the default of our flesh is distraction. Distraction is our default when we do not have a mind to work. When we don't have a mind to work on building the walls that join us together in Christ and then those walls help protect us from the distractions outside those walls from the enemy of our soul. See, listen, we need a mind to work on building gospel community. We need a mind that's willing and wanting to be involved in connect groups. We need a mind to work on building gospel fluency. A mind to work on growing in our understanding of the truth of God in the New Testament. We need a mind that's at work to be involved in growth phases. We need a mind to work on building bridges to the doubting and to the unbelieving in the city around us. We need a mind that gets us involved in outreach opportunities to give of ourselves and to see Christ manifest through us. We need a mind to work on closing gaps and follow up with people. We need a mind to work on assimilating people that have been coming two weeks and three weeks to know that they're just not a bystander, but they are a part of this community, that they belong, that they are valued, that they are to be mobilized, that God has gifted them in Christ. We need a mind to work on people being connected with others here at DP. We need a mind to work to close the gaps regarding ministry areas where Christ is not currently being manifested. Amen. And this season, when you look at this season of world history, and you look at the shaking of the nations, we need a mind to work. We need a gospel-minded orientation. Paul, when he writes to the Thessalonians, they were there in the early church as the gospel came to them and they heard about the king one day would return. They got excited about the return of the king but they got so excited and thought it was going to be so soon they stopped working. And Paul wrote to them, he said, no, you got to have a mind to work. That yes, we're waiting for the king to return but while we wait, we have to work. You got to work today and work tomorrow like he's not going to come for a long time but you got to live as if he's coming at any time we got to have a mind that to work can I tell you in this season of the history of dwelling place Woodstock we need a mind to work as we're going into the new facility as we're going into what God's going to do, we need a mind to work now. We need all to be engaged. We need all to have a hand being involved and having the sword of God and the, the word of God and the weapons of God 
armed on them as well. We need all in this season being used of the Lord to move things forward. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Now it happened when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. As progress is taking place, as Nehemiah and others are being mobilized to to rebuild what had been broken, to, to rebuild where gates have been destroyed, to fill the gaps and to be a part of God's desire and bringing His will about on the earth in the city of Jerusalem, the enemy begins to also be mobilized. And notice how the enemy begins to be mobilized. He begins to get be mobilized through anger. Can I tell you as we're beginning to move things forward, as all of us need a mind to work because there's work to do for God and the kingdom of God in this community, you need to hear me and hear me loud that the assignment and the plan of the enemy will be for anger to come. Notice the text said that they heard things were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very angry. Very angry. Listen, angry people are used of the enemy as ploys to pull you into the realm of the emotions. Listen, victory is not obtained through the emotions. Victory is obtained through faith in Jesus Christ. It is our faith that overcomes the world, not our emotions. And angry people are ploys to pull you into the realm of the emotional, watch this, and out of the awareness of the mind of Christ and kingdom reasoning. If you get angry enough, you don't think straight enough. You get angry enough, you forget your Christianity. You get angry enough, you forget that God's not only with you, but the King's Spirit lives inside of you. And that is the ploy of the enemy. But can I tell you that God's got a response for you and I towards the anger. Prayers to be our response. Because prayer will keep your spirit right. Listen, where the Word of God will get your mind right, fasting, your appetite's right, thanksgiving, your outlook right, giving, your heart right, prayer will get and keep your spirit right. You cannot have a consistent life of prayer and keep an attitude of anger. Anger. When you get so angry, you'll lose the mind to work. But if you'll combat it with prayer, it'll keep your attitude and spirit right and you won't get distracted from having a mind to work. Jesus, of course, knew this. He said in Luke 6, 27, and he said, the culture of my community, the culture of my disciples. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. When you say 
after you pray, it will release a blessing. What you say after you pray will impart grace. But when you say things before you pray, it will most likely often impart cursing. What you say before you pray will often not edify anyone. Or when you say before you pray, it will often be a burden on those who hear. Meaning, grace lifts up. But when you say things before you pray, you put burdens, things that are unhelpful. You put more weight upon people. And notice the text says the enemy's ploy of anger, what he was after. He was after it resulting in confusion. In verse 8 it says there in Nehemiah 4, And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Think about the word confusion. Con means with. Fusion means blending. So the result was that through anger there would be a, a blending of double vision. As followers of Jesus, listen, our vision is not to be determined by other people's anger. As followers of Jesus, our vision is not to be determined by other people's emotions. That's not how Jesus lived and that's not what he modeled for you and I who Peter says in 1 Peter 3 are called to follow in the footsteps of the pattern of Jesus. Jesus had a vision of the Father. And Jesus said, I had a mind to work the will and the works of the Father. That's what Jesus said he was doing. When we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we read through the Gospels and the life of Jesus, Jesus says that what we're reading and what we're hearing took place, that what he was doing is he was doing the will and the works of the Father. Listen, Jesus was not out there competing. Jesus was not out there trying to prove himself. Jesus was not out there being led and pulled into other people's anger and emotions. People were all kinds of angry about him, all kinds of upset, and he would just leave them alone. He would just walk away. Because the goal of the enemy is to create double vision, to create confusion. Think about it. If you physically have double vision, blurred vision, it's hard to focus. It's hard to prioritize. Confusion is the result of, of when you have double vision. And when you have double vision and you're confused, watch this, you lose the mind to work. And that's what the enemy's after. He's after you and I losing the mind to work and be involved in what God desires to do. So here's the question. Do screens lead us to have a mind to work? Does your news watching, does your social media feed, does your Facebook feed, does your Twitter feed, does your Instagram scrolling, does it lead us, lead you to have a mind to work? If it doesn't lead you to have a mind to work, then I'm concerned for your soul today, friend. But if it leads us, to keep a mind to work, to be about the Father's business, then I have no issue with it. So number one, we're called to have a mind to work. 
were called to be involved in the work of God. Then in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 3, as the story continues and as the rebuilding and the building continues, it says in verse 3, So I sent messengers to them. At this time, as they're working, Sanballat and his friends kept sending messages to Nehemiah, saying, hey, come, let's meet, come do this. And here was Nehemiah's response. He says, I sent messages to them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times. You know, I always heard growing up that the, the devil's impatient. Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a bit of impatience when he's trying to get you to sin in the moment. But there are a lot of snares. That's why they're called snares of the enemy. He just leaves them there. Just hoping you start slowly drifting. Slowly getting double vision and confusion. Moving away from your vision of the Father and His will and His works. For a snare that's just there. Michelle and I, we watched the TV show alone. Oftentimes I have people ask what Michelle and I watch because they say, you know, it's, it's difficult uh, to find things that are on TV that are edifying. and So sometimes they want to, you know, find out what Michelle and I are watching or what we find. But Alone's one of the shows that we watch. We finished this season last night, uh, watched the conclusion. But the Alone, they're out there surviving by themselves. And, you know, by this point, they, they've been out there 50, 60, 70 days and I mean, their body's starving. They got limited energy. You know, they got fog brain going on. And, and they ain't got time to be out there hunting 10 hours a day or fishing 10 hours a day. So, so what do they do? Well, if they're going to make it, if they're going to make it to the end, they got to leave a snare. And they go warm themselves by the fire and, and just let the snare sit there and, and hope that it does its work. Well, the enemy is like that at times. He just sits snares around. And then he goes about. But notice what Nehemiah says to him. But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So first we see from Nehemiah a mind to work. But then we see here from Nehemiah, he says, I'm doing a great work. I love that. Listen, kingdom disciples, followers of Jesus, we're called to do a great work. We're called to be able to say, I am doing a great work. But in order to say, I am doing a great work, you have to, I have to first have a mind to work. Why? Because listen... Without a mind to work, we won't be involved in the work. And without being involved in the work, we can't boldly say, I'm doing a great work. <laughs> now some of you say, well, Pastor Chad, you're stirring my insecurities again. I just don't feel I'm doing a great work. Well, listen, great work is determined by a great God, not a great applause. Great work's not determined by how much applause you get or how great the applause is. Great work is determined by a great God. If I'm doing the work 
for the great God, then the work is great whether there's a great applause or not. If I'm doing work for a great God, then the work is great whether there's great awareness of people knowing what I'm doing or not. Great work is determined by a great God. So if it is significant to a great God, then it is significantly great work. So the question is, is the work you are doing attached to the God of heaven? Notice how Nehemiah, he would, in his prayer, he kept referring to God of heaven. God of heaven. Why? Because Nehemiah is showing us the contrast that the God of heaven, we need you to come and work through our hands to be God on earth. We need what Jesus prayed and taught us to pray. Father, let your kingdom come where? On earth. It's already in heaven. He's already experienced as God of heaven. God wants people on earth to experience Him as God. And what kind of God is He? He's a great and awesome God. Why? Because He's a faithful, covenant-keeping God. So business owners, if you attach your business to a great God, then it becomes great work. Mothers, if you attach your child training and raising children and raising your children to a great God, then it becomes great work. Those of you that serve on gifting teams, if you connect it to the great God, then your service becomes great work. The significance is found in who it's for and who it's attached to. Listen, the significance is not found in whether the world or unbelievers, or those sitting on the sidelines think it's great work or not. Notice another attack of the enemy coming as Nehemiah and they'll move forward in the building work of God was fear. And the thing about fear, Paul said that there's a spirit of fear. Not all fear is from a spirit, but there is a spirit of fear. The Bible speaks that there is specifically demons of fear. And the thing about the attack of fear is notice it comes in waves. He says that they wrote to him four times. Then you read the text, then they even tried a fifth time. Fear comes in waves. It comes in waves. And for you and I, we have to remember that the messaging coming from others can always be vulnerable to being used of the enemy to create fear in our life. But you and I have access to the messaging of God. Fear through others might come and say, you're not doing a great work. You're not significant enough. What you're doing has no value. That's the messaging of the world. That is the culture of the world trying to put fear in your heart. But there's the messaging of God where God says, if you're doing it for me and you connect what you do to me, the great God, it becomes great work. So much insecurity is a result of cultural messaging. So much insecurity and instability is the result of cultural shifting expectations that is nothing but shifting sands. And our response as a community of follower, followers of Jesus is deep discipleship and kingdom values. 
Our response as kingdom disciples is to have kingdom definitions of what greatness truly is. And once we then have that deep discipleship and clear definitions of God's gratefulness, you and I will be able to say right in the midst of the world's messaging, I'm doing a great work. We'll be able to boldly say and confidently say as we go about our day, I'm doing a great work. Why? Because it's attached to the great God. Hallelujah. But here's what culture is always trying to say to you and I. Come down and see this. Come down and see this new gadget. Come down and see this new technology that you need. Come down and see this this new outfit you got to buy. The messaging of culture is always come down and get something new. Come down and experience this. Come down, come down, come down. The very fact that they say come down shows you that you've already been elevated. That Christ has already raised you with Jesus to walk in newness of life, to walk in value, kingdom significance, to walk in the good works you were created in Christ Jesus to walk in. The cultures always say, come down, buy and trade. Come down to the pride of life. Come down to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Come down, come down. But when you and I know that what we're doing is attached to a significant great God, then we can boldly declare, I don't need to come down. I'm already doing a great work. Hallelujah. See, notice the text said they were trying to make us afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid to work. Culture's messaging right now is being used of the enemy towards you and I as kingdom disciples to get us afraid but afraid where we no longer have a mind to work in what God's desiring to do. We become so afraid that we become paralyzed. It's a fear that paralyzes kingdom work. You know, it's like over-analysis leads to paralysis. And, and culture's messaging wants to get us so analyzing everything that's happened and, and get us so overwhelmed, so afraid. That then we are not mobilized. But a value of this place that that God's called, He's called us at this place too, is to see believers mobilized. That all of us would be mobilized in the work of God. That all of us would have a mind to work. Would be able to get kingdom definition so we can boldly say in our heart and to culture, I don't need to come down and be involved I'm already doing a great work. See, listen, the enemy is fine with the fact that some work has been done as long as the work is not completely done. The enemy's fine that some... Let me break it down. The enemy's fine that some monies came in for the campaign. He just ain't fine for all the money to come in. The enemies find that some have been saved through DP. He's just not find that more would be saved. The enemies find that some have been through growth phases. He's just not find that all that need to be in growth phases would get involved in growth phases. The enemies find that some are in connect groups. He's just not find if all get involved in connect groups. Why? Because when 
We all have a mind to work and we can all say, I'm doing a great work. You have such a mobilization, such a dwelling of God's Spirit through His people, it becomes an unstoppable force. Because the enemy is looking for the weakest link or the weakest links or the sheeps that are staying in fear or insecurity and are not working. Listen, there is protection as we work for God. There is protection and fresh grace for when we're involved in what God's doing. Notice what Nehemiah prays. This is to be our response. He says, now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. If the enemy's messaging is to try to get us to come down, to get distracted, to become afraid that we lose a mind to work and no longer put our hand to work, then the, the response for you and I is, O God of grace, Put fresh grace, put a fresh anointing, put fresh mobilization, put a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon my hands. Strengthen my hands, O oh God. There is a strengthening grace of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit available for you and I. For those of us that are ready to be involved, those of us that want to get involved, those of us that want to continue to be involved, there is fresh grace to strengthen us. This is what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 5.10. He says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. We serve a great God, and He's the God of all grace. God's got more grace for you and I today. He's got more influence and enablement. The grace of God is the enablement of God. It is turning you and I, not in just to ordinary men and women, but in people that are supernaturally empowered by God's Spirit. Hallelujah. So the question for you and I is, do screens lead to our hands being strengthened in the work? Do screens lead to your hands being strengthened in the work? We're called to have a mind to work. We're called to be able to say, I'm doing a great work. And then in Nehemiah 10, come on band, verse 38 says, And the priests, the descendants of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of God, to the rooms of the storehouse. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, of the new wine and the oil, to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are. And we will not neglect the house of our God. We need a mind to work. We need to be able to say, I'm doing a great work. And we must not neglect the work. God can accomplish more through a group of followers of Jesus who have a mind to work and who believe boldly that we're doing a great work. And therefore, we do not allow screens to become a distraction and cause us to neglect the work. See, when you know you got a mind to work, you have a willingness to be used of God and what He's doing in a local place in conjunction with brothers and sisters and other disciples of Jesus when you got a mind to work when you believe and can boldly say I'm doing a great work then we'll not be vulnerable to be distracted and neglect the work 
screens won't become an issue to neglect us from the priority of being involved in the work of God. Neglect means to pay no attention or too little attention, to disregard or to slight, to fail to carry out and perform. Listen, I'm, I'm more concerned about you paying too little attention to the work than you paying no attention. Because obviously you're paying some attention, you wouldn't be here today. My concern for us at Dwelling Place is not recognizing the season at hand. To not recognize that we all need a mind to work. We all need to be involved more than we've ever been involved before. That we all need to say, oh God, God of all grace, strengthen my hands and don't allow me and us to neglect the work. That we go into the season growing like never before. We go into the new building gathering like never before. We go into the new building grouping like never before. We go into the building giving of ourselves to the community around us like never before. We go into the building sacrificing and giving financially like never before. That we go in already in revival. That we go in already out of the overflow of God's Spirit in and through us so that when God draws new people, they already see the fruition of what they're called to be a part of. A church that will take God at His word. A church that will not be distracted. That will not let screens that will not let the messaging of the world around us to neglect the work of the house of God. See, God's house can't be limited to a number. God always has more room to add to His house. He's always got more room to add more children to His house. He's always got more grace to save more people. He's always got more grace to strengthen more marriages. He's always got more grace to build more homes for the glory of God. He's the God of all grace. But if we forget, or if we do not know how it's a great work, then we'll be vulnerable to neglect the work. I want to tell you that still in the history of all the earth, that what Jesus Christ through His local church is doing by the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a great work. That prioritizing the gospel and seeking to be instruments of God's love and truth and grace to people is still a great work. That even when the nations are being shaken and even when the darts of the enemy of fear seem to be increasing, that being involved of building God's dwelling place and house is still a great work. Your work matters to what God is doing on the earth. Your involvement here at Dwelling Place matters to what God is doing through this local community of followers of Jesus. Your financial giving matters to the amount that we can accomplish together. Your growing personally in growing into the image of Jesus matters to what God is doing here. You gathering every Sunday matters to what God is doing here. Your grouping and being involved in connect groups matters to what God is doing here. You matter. Your involvement matters. I believe there's some people in their careers, some businessmen and women, that you understand that what you're doing is great because you connected to the great God. 
And some of you need to understand that you going and working in this season and believing God for more sales, for increase, for progress has great significance in what God is seeking to do in this season to get us in that building. Your work, your involvement, your career is a great work because it's connected to a great God who's doing a great thing through His people here. There's some that you recognize because your work is great because it's connected to a great God. 10%, you can go way beyond that. I know kingdom men and women because as God continues to bless them and they realize their work is great because they've connected to a great God, they don't just give 10%. There's some people in the kingdom, they give 40, 50% to the place that God is building, a dwelling place in His Spirit. Mothers, those homeschooling children, teachers, it's a great work when you attach it to a great God. And as we think about screens, we just need to ask ourselves the question, do screens lead to you and I neglecting the work? There's still work. Henry David Thoreau said, the price of anything is the amount of life you have to exchange for it. People say social media is free. Well, not according to this quote. Because if we're exchanging the level of involvement you and I could have in the great work for a great God, the price is too great. The price of screens is too great. May screens never lead us to neglect the work. And may we in this season be reminded we're called to have a mind to work. Learn to be able to boldly say, I'm doing a great work. And don't allow screens or things around us to cause us to neglect the work. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.